Hello and welcome to the Humanity Leadership Podcast. I'm David Wheatley and we're here to talk all things leadership. And uh, this week, uh, in the words of the great Leeds philosophers, Chumbawamba, we're going to be dealing with, I get knocked down, but I get up again. Resilience. And uh, my, my guest is looking at me as if to say, I really came on this. And you're going to say things like that. Uh, Judy Brown, welcome back. I uh, appreciate you sharing a, a while back. And um, we've been talking about the idea of resilience, especially at these times, challenging times that people are going through. And uh, you had a few thoughts that, um, that we could discuss today. So welcome again. Thank you. I actually think the introduction of I get knocked down, I bounce back up again is utterly perfect because I think all of us get knocked down at times and the question of how easily we come back and what methods we use to do that are, are uh, subjects that are worth exploring together. Um, I think one of the things, people have a tendency to think some people are resilient and other people aren't. And it may be true that some of us have more of an inborn ability to bounce back. But I think the uh, important knowledge these days and research says that any of us can strengthen our resilience uh, by practices we undertake, by specific things we do. And particularly since we're in this COVID season that looks as if it's going to last we don't know how long and how it's going to go, um, I think it's a particular time to pay attention to the practices that can make us steadier in the midst of all this unsteadiness around us. Yeah, I think it's interesting that idea of, um, is it uh, built in or is it uh, trainable? And uh, yeah, I was having a conversation recently actually with one of my previous guests, Bronston Clough, about uh, uh, the military and there's so many books out these days by SEALs and people like that who, uh, about leadership. And one of my challenges on it is they, they get to lead people who are phenomenally resilient because of the selection process for any of these special forces groups. They have to be, it weeds out the people who aren't resilient. And so uh, and some of my wife's research work suggests that uh, there's a lot less PTSD in the special forces because they select in the people who are particularly resilient. Um, but, for the rest of us, the rest of those menials, it, it is something that we can build and develop. And I'm looking forward to having that conversation with you today. Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of ways we can build it. I mean, one of the things I'd like to point to to begin with is uh, some work that Peter Vale did on what he calls permanent whitewater. And it's particularly um, helpful because I think the kind of change we're dealing with right now is going on a lot longer than we had anticipated. So there are certain kind of resilience practices that help us to get back steadied up on our feet when something that's a surprise wave hits us. Right. Uh, but, um, but he points us in a direction of practices that are particularly helpful when it turns out that we're kayaking or canoeing in permanent white water. We go mm -hmm. around the corner and there's more of it mm -hmm. uh, and we're getting tired from it. So let me talk a little bit about that. Vale says that um, our tendency when we're faced with challenge is to try to work uh, harder and to work 
uh, smarter to be more organized or to have better technology because that working technologically smarter. But he says in this kind of permanent whitewater, there are three practices beyond those initial three that really have a payoff. One is to work reflectively smarter, which means to build in time and practices for taking stock of ourselves and what's going on around us. Um, for me, my, my standard one for that has been for about 40 years is journal. Uh, I get up every morning and spend a half an hour in my journal and every day goes better because I do that. If I, if I fall off the wagon for a day, the day doesn't go so well. So reflect if, I go, if I just step into that, uh, your permanent white water example, I think even in permanent white water, there's the occasional eddy. And what you're talking about is find the occasional eddy and just take a moment to breathe and stop. And whether it be journaling or take a walk in the woods, wherever it may be, just staring out the window, just uh, take that moment because we know that we can't stay there. And we know yeah. once we get back into the turmoil, it's going to be turmoil. David, that is terrific. That's what happens when two people who kayak have this kind of conversation. <laughs> so there are eddies. And, and whatever your practice, whether it's uh, meditation or journal or running or being in nature, that's the eddy. Mm -hmm. uh, grab it while you can. But I, I would, not just grab it, but schedule it. Schedule it in. That's what yeah. I was going to say. Uh, schedule it in. Um, and then he says the second practice that's important is to work collectively smarter, mm -hmm. which means we may feel like we're kind of hunkered down because most of us are. And um, we forget that there are still people all around us and available to us who may have guidance for us, who may have ideas, who can chat with us about various things. And that, uh, that helps us be smarter in these mm -hmm. times. And then the third thing he talks about is being spiritually smarter. And he doesn't necessarily mean by that anything religious, although he wouldn't rule that out. For some people, it is a faith practice. But for many people, working spiritually smarter means being much more in touch with what matters most to them, mm -hmm. uh, being in touch with their values. Um, for me, frankly, I think nature is probably my favorite spiritual source. It's whenever I can, getting myself in a natural setting, right. uh, even though I'm fairly locked down with uh, COVID. So working reflectively smarter, collectively smarter, and spiritually smarter are the ones that will keep us settled yep. and functioning well in permanent whitewater. And I, again, go back, and maybe it's my history of teaching whitewater kayaking, but I'm connected to this in a big way. But the, the, um, the fact that you, the eddies are the reflective working collectively you know the idea of let's take it in turns to shoot this next one because shooting it first is going to take a lot more effort and energy and thought and then the rest of us can take advantage of what the first person did and and then let's make sure we're swapping that around and the the spiritually smarter as you're talking about nature the thing for me would be just bear in mind where i am and how beautiful it all is and how wonderful this opportunity is and i actually had a chance to talk to uh, another friend of mine Scott McFarland a few episodes ago but we really got into the spirit and how to balance spirit in your life as well so uh, I guess the other thing that comes from white water is they say that you should never be letting the current uh, set the pace as a white water character you should either be going slightly faster or slightly slower than the current so that you're somewhat in control somewhat in control yeah. you know 
This is reminding me, David, that anytime I'm teaching this as a management philosophy, you have to come along. <laughs> I'm not used to having somebody who's really an expert on this. This is a treat. This is a treat. We'll see. Shall, I'm going to shift to something else. I suspect you're an expert on this one, too. So let me. All right. No, I want to be an expert on anything, and I definitely am out of date with my expertise in whitewater kayaking. So, kayaks and whitewater haven't changed, David. You don't get out of out of step with that. The um, next um, educator for me, guide for me, uh, is the work of Ernest Shackleton, who in uh, the early, well, in 1915. Uh, took a group of 27 uh, sailors and scientists on an expedition to Antarctica with the plan that he, they were going to walk across uh, Antarctica. Uh, but to get there, they had to sail through some pretty rough going. And uh, they had some, the kind of bad luck that would leave you <laughs> thinking your day at the office or your day in the house wasn't so bad after all. Uh, the ship gets caught in the ice and they figure they're going to wait until spring when the ice lets up and the ice doesn't let up, let up, it crushes the ship and it goes down. And Shackleton um, does two things that are really brilliant. The first thing he says is um, you have to leave all your valuables on the ship and take only what's essential. And he's pointing people toward in this dynamic they're in, which is not what they expected. What are they holding on to from their old life? Mm -hmm. that is of no earthly use and what do they need to take with them in order to now do what they have to do which as he says is ships gone down now we go back to england right that's his, that was his language so it resets what you see as valuable doesn't it uh, that you know I th i'm thinking about that as um we were just walking out in our garden which has got a lot more food in it than it did a year ago <laughs> And, yeah. and it's kind of resetting that if we potentially can't go out, you can't go out to the shops and everything else, then what's valuable is let's dig up the lawn and turn it right. into something we can eat. Right, which the environmentalists have been trying to get us to do forever <laughs> because the grass is not exactly great for the environment. You're right. That's a good example of the reset. Good example of the reset. So there's another thing that I found helpful in dealing with the kind of uncertainty, which is a particular question that a friend asked me about a month ago. And he said, he thought I seemed kind of calm in this circumstance. And uh, he wanted to know if I'd ever been through anything like this before. It's mm -hmm. that question. Have you ever been through anything like this before? Mm -hmm. That is the useful one right now, because if you can hearken back to whatever that was and think about what process or practices or approach you used that got you through, it's like your individual fingerprint for how to deal with these kinds of things. You have much greater strengths than you're going to recall when you're having a moment where you just think, I can't stand any more of this. Right. Um, it's not so, just about being, have you been through COVID before? Because we obviously haven't. It's about when was the, when was the time when you were, put under pressure that the, the world around you was changing and think yeah. about what you did at that point, which, you know, it could be when you left school or college to go out into the, the real world or wherever it may be, or, or get that first job. That's um, exactly right. I mean, when he asked me that question, what came to mind was when as a Pan American flight attendant, I was on a flight that lost an engine 
and uh, we had to go back to England and we were too heavy to land. So we had to dump all the fuel and go in circles until we were light enough to land. That felt like this. So right. the question is, it, it's a feeling sense of mm -hmm. it. And if you can get back to that and see what you did, um, therein is a good strategy right. to return. Yeah, to return to. And um, I think the key there is that you identify is the uh, to notice. So to notice the feeling and then recognize what the feeling is and then connect it back to that other feeling and think about what what worked, what didn't work in this other place. But that, unless I'm paying attention to how I'm feeling right now, yes. that sense of I'm getting some kind of butterflies in my stomach, wherever that may be. Right. When did I also get these? Yeah. yeah. And then play back what I did at that point. David, you're really good at putting together a step-by-step -step approach to this sort of thing. I do these intuitive leaps. Remember a time and then figure out how you did it and do it again. Thank you. It's really helpful. Exactly. We, have a, we have a tool we call Notice, Stop, Think, and Choose. That, Got it. Uh, is actually in our uh, latest book, which he happens to have here handy. <laughs> of course, listen to um, but in what great teams do great, and it used to be stop, think, and choose, which was simply create a space to stop so, so that you can think rationally, logically, and then you can make a better choice. But the addition of notice up front, which is really notice the feeling, the triggers, yes. the what's going on physically, which then leads to the, and when you get that, stop, create the space, create the eddy in order right. to, to take that moment to think and then make a better choice. So it's a pause. It's a it's realizing that when we have these feelings, that a pause is in order. I, I want to add also to this notion of of resilience the work of uh, Lucy Hone, who is a researcher from Australia, has done a fabulous TED talk on uh, resilience. Uh, her research is on optimism, actually. Um, but what she learned from her research, particularly when she herself experienced a huge, huge loss, is that it's possible to both grieve and live simultaneously. And I think for many of us, there are huge losses in this season. Some are losses that would have been in this season anyway. Some are losses because of COVID. That is, people mm -hmm. in our family are lost and or friends and the other is things that we'll never get back like the high school education of our child or the graduation that's mm -hmm. not coming back those are losses as well and she gives us three rules to operate by when to stay resilient in the face of real loss the first rule is acknowledge that hard things are hard they just are and i think that's to your noticing david that's just being aware that that's true. Don't fool yourself with silver linings. This is tough, whatever the this is. And that kind of um, links into some of the, you know, we've been talking up here about the uh, Black Lives Matter, the race challenges that are going on at the moment. And I, uh, we, I've been telling people, messy conversations are going to be messy. And you have yep. to appreciate that they're going to be messy, which is the same, same thing. Yep. Saying, is acknowledge yep. that hard conversations, hard things are going to be hard. Yes, they are. And it doesn't mean you're in the wrong place. It means you're in the right place. Yeah. The second thing that Hone says is that even when that's true, and particularly when that's true, you should hunt the good. And she uses that language when she is training military people to be resilient. 
So we often say, well, look for the upside or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the language she uses, which is hunt the good, is much stronger and I think helpful in this case. And then she has a third rule, which is ask yourself repeatedly, is what I am doing right now helping me or harming me? And it's the me at the end of that that's critical because most of us who are trying to do our best in the world are trying to make sure we are helping and not harming mm -hmm. other people. But this has at the end of the sentence, me. All right, right, me. And so behind that is the notion of the flight attendant with the oxygen masks. And that is put your own mask on first yep. before trying to help others. Um, we're no good if we aren't steady and resilient ourselves. Right. So. Which is interesting because that peels back to the white water, doesn't it? That I've got to make the space and the, uh, the place for me to stop and, and re-energize. If, even if it's permanent white water, I've got to look for those opportunities. Yes. And as you said, and make them. Um, and then th there's another resource I'd point us to. And this one, just because it's such fun, there is a uh, TED Talk by a fellow by the name of Sean Aker. Last name is like Anchor with no N, A-C-H-O-R. And it's on happiness and work or something like that. But what he says is that we have a tendency to... Um, Always think we'll be happy if something happens. You know, mm -hmm. when COVID disappears, I'll be happy. You know, when I get a Jaguar convertible, I'll be happy. Who knows what we're telling ourselves? But at some point, we'll be happy if. Yep. And what he says is that if we are happy, we will do better. Mm -hmm. So happiness is a goal as a first step because the results will be better. Uh, and he says there are five practices that will help us reset in the direction of happiness. I would say in the direction of optimism is another way of thinking about it, so that we can think clearly about what's possible ahead. And those five practices are this. The first is to begin the day with three specific gratitudes, things you're grateful for. If your dog was on yesterday's list, he cannot be on again today. It has to be three new gratitudes. The second is meditation, a practice so you begin to understand the way your mind works and be able to follow it. The third is journal, because journaling trains you to take your life seriously and to pay attention to it. And David, as you said, to simply notice what's going on so you begin to see the patterns in your life and learn from them. The fourth thing is before you open your emails every day, send three appreciative notes to people. He says in your network, I would say friends, colleagues, whatever, of just what you cherish about them and what a difference they make to you. And then the last one, which is the one I can't practice because I'm sitting in a chair, well, I suppose I could, is exercise because exercise tells your mind that what you do matters. Mm -hmm. So those are his five. Uh, but behind that is this notion that whether you see yourself as a realist, which is what we call a pessimist, or an optimist, which is what a realist calls somebody with their head in the clouds, whichever place you are on that, you can reset with these kinds of practices in the direction of optimism. Now the question is, the realist will say, why would I want to do that? 
it would not be who I am. The reason you would want to do that is because the research says that optimists don't necessarily have the details of the here and now as precisely right as the realist pessimists do, but they are much more successful, they get much better results, and they're happier. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's research that manages to insult all of us. So, well, it's kind of like, uh, don't seek happiness, be happy. Yeah, yeah. And be happy in the sense of have practices that allow you to be happy. Yeah. You may not be happy naturally, and it may be a rough day. <laughs> Well, it's, I think you're right that there's some people that just intuitively lean to that. Okay, we're here. This is a situation. Let me right. get the most out of it. And there's other people who get pulled down by that situation and it's retraining ourselves to not allow that to take over. And yes. I think you know, we're going to be talking in a, a few episodes more about the idea of meditation and, um, and some simple practices for those that have never done it and want to get started on it. Um, because I think that's one of the obstacles sometimes is you, know, you say this journaling and meditation and these feel hard to your average person because you know, shutting down your, your mind and, and actually writing is, is challenging. But I, we're going to be looking at that in a few, few episodes. So that's, that's a nice build on. So I really appreciate you. I mean, that's some real practical uh, wisdom, whether it be Whitewater, whether it be uh, Shackleton or whether it be, I think it was the Harvard Happiness Project. Was that the Sean Anker one? Sean Anker I don't one? know. I've heard of that. I've heard of that project, but um, I know I read his, his book, but I may have read the other one as well. Well, the other one that I point people to is Martin Seligman's book, his work on learned optimism, which is at the heart of the research on the high, much higher effectiveness of people who, whether by their nature or their practice or both, are able to maintain a steady optimistic uh, orientation, even in all this, the all right. this. So. Cool. Well, I hope there's at least one nugget that people can pull out of this for themselves that uh, will help them deal with whatever's going on in their world, whether it be COVID or just anything else. And um, there's a lot of job changes and such, which is making uh, increasing pressure and making life a little bit more challenging. So if there's one nugget in this 20 minutes that you can pull, then that would be great. Uh, Judy, thank you very much again for being our, our, one of our irregular guests. Um, <laughs> but uh, we look forward to having you on again. This is the Humanity Leadership Podcast. I'm David Wheatley. Thanks to Brian Spencer and Finkel for our intro music. Please share any feedback, suggestions, like and subscribe. If you want to give us a review on iTunes, that will be wonderful because then we might get noticed. Um, I can be contacted at humanity.com. Until next time, stay healthy. Thank you very much.